Welcome to the Story Night Podcast, a place where we share hearts, our hurts, and how God's wonder intersects with the story of our lives. A ministry of Calvary Mac. Here's our host, Jessica Campbell. Hi, ladies, and welcome back to the Story Night Podcast. If you've been listening a while, you know that not too long ago, we interviewed Sandra and heard a little bit about the Christian writing group that's starting at Calvary Mac. And she let us know that she was inviting guest authors to come share and, and speak with that group. Well, we've sort of connected with them and have the privilege of these guest authors also coming on the Story Night podcast to share their stories. Uh, so we've heard from Kathy Davis so far, and tonight we have our next guest author slash Story Night speaker, Kendi Pearson. So Kendi, welcome. Thank you so much for coming to share your story to start off, I'd love to just have you, you know, quickly introduce yourself to the listeners and maybe tell them just a little bit about who you are in your life right now. Thank you, Jessica. Well, where am I at right now? Hmm, in the autumn of my life. Right this moment, I'm still a musician, have been all my life, former high school teacher, about 27 years of teaching high school in Christian schools. And uh, I have a good-sized family, a blended family, and uh, I love country life, and I teach music one day a week. I have students all morning, afternoon, and evening. I'm a worship leader, a writing coach, and an editor, and soon to be a podcast host. That's where I'm at right now. I just love how often women end up on this podcast who are launching their own podcasts or have their own as well. I think it's amazing. So we'll have to have you share, you know, maybe your link or something. We'll put that in the episode notes. So if listeners want to follow you, they can they can stay up to date. And I'm going to share a little bit more about Kendi because she's a pretty accomplished writer. She has written children's books and historical novels. Uh, she's put on workshops. She's had hundreds of articles in periodicals internationally. And and she was a contributing author for Jesus Talk to Me today. So for those of you who listen to Kathy Davis's story, that may ring a bell for you as well. And she's earned awards. And, you know, as I, I could go on, but I know that as a listener, as you hear this, it's really easy to just hear all the accolades and think, okay, here's this woman who's polished and professional and accomplished, and it's and it's gain after gain after gain. And while this is all true, these are all true facts about her, there's more to her story. I think we're really blessed that Kendi's here to share about the losses she's had in her life, because the story of her life is not just the gains. There are also some serious losses. And I want to invite you now, Candy, to kind of take us back through your life, starting with your childhood, and and share a little bit about what you have experienced, what you've gone through, and and really where God was in the middle of all of that. It's easy to see Him in the gains and praise Him, but sometimes sometimes it's really hard to see Him in the losses. Thank you, Jessica. Well, I'm hoping that as I kind of go through my story, you will each find something in my life that you could relate to. Because sometimes we think we're all alone, and, and we're not. We're not. Let's start with the, the little girl who was born in Iowa, <laughs> grew up in the 60s and 70s. My mom was a tough Kansas farm girl, came up through the Dust Bowl and the Great Depression. My father was a World War II veteran and then a Korean War veteran. He had been wounded, uh, never, ever talked about his experiences. And now that I'm grown, I so wish that he was around you know, I have, I have so many things I want to ask him. We were raised, all five of us kids, strong Irish heritage. I'm a McLaughlin on both sides of my family, and I'm second-generation American-born. I came up during a time of complete oblivion and innocence. I had the most wonderful childhood, you know, making snow forts. I mean, I, you know, climbing out the second story window after a snowstorm because you couldn't open the front door because the drift covered it. And, and, you know, growing up working in the cornfields, working in the bean fields from age seven on, it was just a wonderful, clean, refreshing, innocent way of life. Just a, a small farming community. The Vietnam War, that, that was a real important part of my growing up. I remember that, you know, that was the first war where we saw live footage 
on the TV, a lot of awful things. And I just remember a lot of laying on the, on the floor, on the, you know, wall to wall carpeting was a really big thing back then and working on my homework or my note speller, doing some work, laying on my stomach on the floor while everybody was watching the news and just watching the news and absorbing it. I had a brother and two brother-in-laws that were in the military. I had friends whose, whose brothers were in Vietnam in a small community. We knew when we lost someone and it was just kind of an overarching presence in my growing up years. And I was away at, at a church camp when they declared that final ceasefire and they blasted it over the loudspeaker. It was a real joyful time. At that time, I'd been wearing a POW MIA bracelet for three years. And uh, so, like I said, the Vietnam War was a, a real thing. Those of you that are younger, it's just something from the history books, perhaps. But uh, it was it was the first war that we really saw happening every single night on the news. And I remember watching my POW. He was Lieutenant Colonel. And I remember watching him get off of the plane when they were releasing POWs and the plane landed in the United States. And they announced him. They were announcing all the officers' names. And I watched him walk down the stairs that were hooked to the airplane and onto the tarmac. And I remember shedding tears and taking that bracelet off my wrist at that moment. And and that was huge. That was just huge. It, it was the end of a horrific, painful era. Earliest memories, oh my goodness, music. Music was always a part of my life. I started piano when I was seven. And, and when I was 10, I started playing saxophone and oboe and clarinet and and always singing, always in every production in junior high, high school, and college, all of the theater stuff, being an active thespian. And it was just a lot of fun, a very, very musical, wonderful, sweet, innocent time. I, I have still wonderful memories of sitting underneath the dining room table with my little record player. And, you know, that was when I was little, that was during the Vietnam War. You know, we were, you know, playing the song of the Green Berets, for those of you who know that song. I just had a real sweet time growing up. It, it was a, a real time of innocence. I excelled in academics and, and music and drama, but you know, I still had low self-esteem. I was a little bit of a chubby child. I had to wear glasses, but you know, hey, that was kind of popular. Uh, third, fourth grade, everybody, all my friends were starting to wear glasses too. So that wasn't such a big deal, but I, I just still always had this low self-esteem. When I was in third grade, my brother was in fifth grade. He came down with epilepsy. It just seemed like he was a focus, you know, after that. And, and as the youngest, you know, we, we younger people, you know what I mean? We, we kind of fade into the, into the woodwork in, in the, in the home. And so even though I was just doing my best to please mom and dad and be really great at everything I did, I, I always just kind of felt like I was never quite, quite good enough. My junior year, all of a sudden, my dad announces we're, we're going to move. And so the town I'd lived in almost all my life, we left. And for a teenage girl to move uh, a week after the end of her, you know, sophomore year in high school, that was so painful. It was so painful. It was so hard. And I, I didn't know who I was. And, and so here I am starting off again anew in a new town, starting off the, the summer working in the fields again, detasseling corn, roguing corn, and, and trying to make friends before school started. So that, that was just like, like the first section of my life. It was just, it was all innocent and wonderful, but it was still painful. My dad went through open heart surgery during that time. I thought I was going to lose him. It's just my life was out of my hands. And when I was in fifth grade, a friend invited me to go to church and invited me to church camp. And that's when I gave my heart to Jesus Christ. And that was the year that my dad bought me my guitar. So, you know, I think wonderful things happened that year. A lot happened um, fifth grade. It was just a, a sweet time, and I knew at that point God had me in his hand. And then no matter what was going to happen, I would be in his hand. I didn't know that things were going to take a turn after that big move after my sophomore year. So like a lot of teenage girls, you know, we all just want to be accepted. We want to be loved. We want people to look at us and think, oh, wow, I want to be like her. I lost my ugly duckling-ness and was you know, getting along great in school and, and still doing well with academics and got, you know, music scholarships and everything and went off to college. And I thought, I don't know what I want to do. The only thing I know is music. So I decided I would go ahead and be a music teacher. But 
you know, in my quest for wanting to be accepted, always searching to be accepted. And, and I don't know why I was immature enough to not know that, you know, the Lord's acceptance of me was enough. We, we, we've been, we, we have a hard time with that sometimes. We're always wanting man's approval or, or something. Now that I look back on it, I wish, oh, I wish I'd had a godly mentor who would come up to me, put their hand upon my shoulder and say, Candy, you are enough. You are enough. God loves you the way you are. Listen to him. You are enough. But I fell in love with a, a bad boy and, uh, he was kind of my high school sweetheart and, Life changed after that. I mean, here I was unequally yoked. I was kind of fooled. I, I thought that if he, if he kind of said the sinner's prayer once, then maybe that would change everything. And, and it didn't. I just want to say though, you know, in an unequally yoked marriage, it is painful. It is painful, but God can honor that. I found a book to read it called Beloved Unbeliever. And it was so precious to me and it gave me the hope I needed. And, you know, if you are out there and if you're in an unequally yoked marriage and you love the Lord with all your heart, I know, I know that you probably read First Peter chapter 3, but that was my mantra for so many years that, that my husband would be won over by my own life. And the word says that we're supposed to, in the Amplified, it says that we're supposed to honor him, esteem him, appreciate him, and prize our spouse. That's what we're supposed to do. And I tried. I worked so hard to, to please him in, in, at every turn. So moving, moving on through our, our marriage, I, I knew that, you know, God would still use me as long as I was faithful to God, even though I felt like I had made a mistake. I know that God will take our mistakes when he allows something like, like his permissive will. He will take that and he can make gold out of it. He can do beautiful things with it. And I believed that. So going forward, I, I wanted children fairly quickly, but my husband didn't. He came from a family of five. He wasn't that crazy about having lots of kids. And and so it took a little while before he finally said, oh, okay, sure, we can have children. And I thought I would get pregnant right away. Nope, nope. Took a couple years. And and then finally, finally when I was pregnant and, and, and our little girl was born, there were problems. And I mean, I was ecstatic. But when she was born, she had two holes in her heart. She had the cord wrapped around her neck twice. It was it was a lot of complication, a lot of difficulty, and I will never forget being in the hospital room and taking a shower and lifting my face up into that flow of water and screaming at the top of my lungs and crying out to God with the most pain I'd ever felt in my entire life. And I knew at that moment that I had to give her to the Lord. I mean, I was Abraham and Isaac all over again, offering offering her up, saying, Lord, if you're going to take her, then take her. She's yours. And and that was hard. That was really hard. But, you know, God, God brought me through that. God brought me through that. And, you know, she's 37 years old today. So, you know, he, he did he did bring me through that. Moving on, it, it wasn't long before I, you know, three years later, I was pregnant with another child. And then my father came up to visit me. I hadn't seen him in two years and he died the next morning. I rushed him to the hospital and an hour later he was dead. And there I was six months pregnant. And, and that was so, so difficult. And I just, I felt so much guilt because I had not seen my mom and dad. I talked to them all the time on the phone, but I had not seen them for two whole years. And the minute they came up to visit, all of a sudden he was gone. And I learned from that, that I need to tell people how I feel about them. I need to speak with them and, and not put off for tomorrow what may never come. And that was, that was just hard to heal. I just want to pause real quick and hope that that really sinks in to everybody listening, because I know everyone right now has at least one person in her life where there's something unresolved, something to say that you haven't had a chance to say yet. And I hope this is an encouragement to do that, whether whether that's writing an email or picking up the phone or, or, or trying to do a, a visit or a socially distant visit, depending on what time you're hearing this podcast. Don't let those days go by. We really have no idea what tomorrow brings. And I, and I just think what a beautiful reminder to make the best use of each day and really value those, those relationships. And Candy, already you have mentioned so many things that are immensely heavy 
So as these trials and losses started to really hit and, and maybe even feel like they were piling up in your life, at this point, were you angry with God? Did you give up on him? Were you turning to him? Where was your relationship at this point? Well, I, I never was angry at God because I felt like I never had a right to be because he gave his son for me. I mean, I, I, I just couldn't bring myself to be angry at God. But what I could do is bring myself to seek out wisdom among other people. As I'm going through this, you know, wisdom from older women. I was a young woman at the time. I I needed to be surrounded by godly people who had been there. And I did seek those people out. And I trusted in the Lord. I dug into his word. I I went to a Christian college. I had a lot of Bible behind me. I knew how to study the word. And I just never really got angry at God. I trusted him through all of this, although I did want to ask why a few times, but it was more rhetorical. He didn't owe me an explanation. I was his child, and he knew what was best for me. And and as I look back over my life as a parent, I I, I look at his, his, the way he took care of me. He is my Abba Father. He took care of me through everything, and it was no matter how badly I thought things were going I knew that, that he was just going to be there and he was going to take care of me. And I never truly felt alone. Never ever in my life have I felt like God abandoned me or, or turned his face away from me. After, after losing my father, wonderful thing happened that we were able to buy an acreage and I'm a country girl and living in town is horrible to me. You know, I, I don't want to, you know, holler out the door at the kids and have the neighbor hear it. You know, I, I want my dog to be able to not have to be tied up, things like that. I'm, I'm just a country girl. But we purchased three and a half beautiful acres. And then my husband at the time said, hey, you know, you need to go to work. And that broke my heart because, you know, all I wanted to do was be home with my, my kids. All I wanted to do was be a stay-at-home mom, and then I wanted to homeschool. That was my perfect little world. But my husband at the time said, uh, no, it's not fair. I'm working. You have to work too. And, and I felt so betrayed because when we married, he said that it would be okay if I stayed home with, with the children because that was one of the important things I, I wanted to make sure we had an understanding on. At this point, I had a two-year-old and a five-year-old, and all I wanted to do was be home with them. And I, I felt like, wow, I was really blessed to be home for two years with the kids, and that, and that was wonderful. But I had to go to work. And I was, I was happy to get on with one of the school districts and I started substituting. And it was then that I, I, I hadn't mentioned this before, but I grew up with a mom who was partially deaf and she wore hearing aids as far back as I can remember. And we always had to kind of, you know, take care of that situation. I also had a sister who had been wearing hearing aids for quite a while and I did not pass my hearing test my senior year in high school. So I knew that I had a little problem. I was trying hard to, you know, put it out of my mind. But by the time I was 30, I had to get hearing aids. And I can't tell you what a crush that was to me. I still remember going away for a little weekend away on my 30th birthday and thinking, this is just horrible. I, I felt like I should have been 80 years old. What am I doing 30 years old wearing hearing aids? And I want to tell you it was such a mixed blessing because it made me once again feel like, oh no, I'm a nothing. I can't do this. I can't do that. I felt terrible. But at the same time, I can't tell you the tears that streamed down my face when I was outside at, at our property out in the country. And for the first time, I realized there was a bunch of birds singing in the trees. And I know there's that song, you know, about hearing the birds singing. And, and that was me. And for the first time, I realized how bad my hearing had gotten and that I really did need to wear hearing aids and that God had things for me. And it was it was a picture. It was a picture that, that no matter how I felt about something, <laughs> God was in control. And no matter how difficult it got and, and what my little brain wanted to think of it, it was it was going to be okay. It was going to be okay. And, and God had a perfect plan. I went to work for the Educational Service District. I learned a lot there. I was working with emotionally disturbed kids. And then I was offered a position at my first Christian school. And I was so surprised. I prayed about it, and my husband said yes. And he said yes because it was a paying job. 
And so I was able to do that for a couple of years. And then they wanted to close the school. And by now I have my, my son's going to be in kindergarten and my daughter's going to be in fourth grade, right? They closed the school. And all I wanted to do was homeschool. But I knew that I would not be making money. My husband would not say, yes, Lord, what do I do? You've got to take care of this situation. And and I know all this came as a result of being unequally yoked. It's kind of a trickle-down effect. But as long as I was trusting the Lord, he was going to take care of those details. And in a very strange ways, remember, God's ways are not our ways. As high as the heavens are above the earth are his ways above ours. Never in a hundred years would I have thought that this would happen. We went on a trip to Canada, a fishing trip. Took my, my daughter at the time, you know, we've, I've got a kindergartner and I'm going to be in fourth grade. So what was she? Nine years old. And on the way home from that trip, she got more and more uncomfortable. Mommy, my hip hurts. Mommy, can we stop? My hip hurts. Long, long drive back home. By the time we got home, she could not walk. I had to pick her up and carry her out of the pickup truck. She hurt so bad. And that was the beginning of what was to become a diagnosis of juvenile rheumatoid arthritis. The prognosis was not good. Most children who have this are technically completely disabled by the time they're 14 or 15 years old. It was it was heart-wrenching. It was heart-wrenching. There was no use. I had to homeschool her. Can you believe that that happened and I was able to homeschool my children? It was a delightful year of homeschooling. But not too long after we started homeschooling, just a few months into it, so my daughter had been very, I mean, I was carrying her literally from the couch to her bed. You know, um, she was sitting on the couch and prop her aching elbows up on pillows trying to do her schoolwork. It, it was a real hard time. And we were back and forth, back and forth to special children's hospital. But I came in one day, I was making her lunch, and I said, are you ready to eat lunch? And she said, Mom, she's sitting there watching the 700 Club. She goes, Mom, I just heard Pat Robertson pray, and I agreed with him. He said that somebody right now is being healed from arthritis, and so I just agreed with him. So I think God has healed me. This from the mouth of the nine-year-old. And all I could do was cry. All I could do was cry. Now, I do want to point out that we had been forbidden to go to church on Sunday nights and Wednesday nights, but it was okay to go on Sunday mornings. And so I made sure that those children were in church every Sunday morning. And we had a lot of Christian friends that we spent time with and kids that came over. And so I did what I could do to honor God in my marriage. I did what I could do to raise my kids for him, aside from what my husband said or did. So I just want to encourage you out there, again, if you are unequally yoked, ask God, what can I do? What can I do that honors you and honors my husband? As you are still always, of course, asking for God to do a work in his heart. So over the course of about three weeks, which is about how long it took her to get to the point where she was crippled up when she first came down with this disease, over the course of about three weeks, every day she got better and better and better. It was so fast. It made my head spin. And not only did God heal her from that juvenile rheumatoid arthritis, it was so crippling and so so awful painful. She had been on two different inhalers because of allergies. The Lord healed her allergies at that time. She had not been able to walk into the garden without her eyes swelling up and getting red and her whole face getting all blotchy. So God did a mighty work, and I was still able to homeschool the rest of that year. And the most wonderful thing is another job opened up at a bigger Christian school. And so for the next several years, I taught there and my children went to school there. You see, God is so good. He opens those doors up. I never in a hundred years would have thought he could have done things that way. But that's the route that he chose, and he's sovereign, and I love him for it. Unfortunately, after a certain amount of time, uh, my husband was involved in infidelity, and it wasn't just once. It, it happened over and over again, and, and he said, well, we're going to move to town. And so not only did I feel at a loss that, you know, my, my husband doesn't love me, I'm not good enough. Those of you that have been involved in something like that where your spouse has been unfaithful, you know what I'm talking about. You can't even put into words what goes through your mind and, and your heart and how much it hurts and how you have to try to protect the children and, and hide things from the children and from, from other people because you're so shamed. 
But he said, nope, we're going we're gonna to sell the property. We're going to move to town. And that broke my heart because I had to sell horses. I had to sell goats. I had to get rid of chickens. I had to, all these things that were warm fuzzies in my life, the things that I loved so much, I had to say goodbye to. And we moved into town into a brand new little house. Life was very, very simple, very easy. Everything was nice and clean and little package deal. But, you know, that was really only the beginning of sorrows at this point. Everything just started escalating like the birth pangs of a child giving birth. And the next couple of years would just be almost a nightmare in some ways. So after we moved to town, things kind of snowballed in in different, many, many different ways. We purchased 28 acres, which was just gorgeous. But then we had to wait while the house was being built. And during that time, this is literally like a 14-month period where, where things all snowballed. So in September, we had a boating accident. I got a concussion. I broke my thumb. Started out the beginning of the school year. I'm teaching three math classes with my right thumb broken. And it was so hard to write on the board, so frustrating. And it was, it was very, very depressing. And that was September. And then in November, things started happening with my voice. I had nodules on my vocal cords. I had to have surgery on my vocal cords. And I could not speak for three weeks. Do you have any idea what it's like to teach a bunch of teenagers when you cannot speak? I took a little time off, but I couldn't take the whole time off. That was very difficult. And then... In March, my dream was coming true of going to Israel. I was very involved in a a group of singers and dancers and, and drama that was going to be going to Israel. And I was about to have my 36th birthday. And I ended up falling off my horse. I had actually purchased a new horse, a thoroughbred, and was in the barn waiting for our barn to be built on the 28 acres. And I'm riding the horse. I fell off the horse. I broke my ankle in three places. It was devastating because that was just uh, two or three weeks before we were supposed to leave for Israel. And it was like, you know, eight weeks, no weight on the foot. That was, you know, there was no walking cast involved. It was a major, major problem. Oh, I prayed. I prayed so hard. And, you know, I went to Israel with crutches and a cast that I could not put any weight on. It was it was a miracle. It was a dream come true, though. I still managed to kiss the tarmac (laughs) (laughs) when we landed in Tel Aviv. So it it was something that I had wanted so badly all my life. And God still allowed me to go, even though I broke my ankle. And and then I went through the the trial of having to learn to walk all over again. Any of you that have ever broken anything or hurt something terribly, you go through all that physical therapy and, and, you know, you start doing heel, toe, heel, toe, trying to walk again. And that was only the first time out of three different times that that would happen for me to learn to walk again. And that was in March. And then in September, my husband decides he's going to leave. He's going to leave us. And he announced it just two days before school started. He said, when you come back from your beginning of the year retreat, I won't be here. And you know what? God had prepared me for that. All I could say to him was, okay. I just felt so much that the Lord's arms were right around me and he was going to take care of me and he was going to provide. And he said to me at that point is, you've done all you can, Kendi. Let me take it from here. And you know, I had given it to him. It's just that it's it's pretty scary when it actually happens, something that you kind of think maybe is going to happen. So he he moved out and he left us. We had no choice but to move into a little motorhome on the property. And at that time, oh, my brothers and sisters in Christ came around me. There was a wonderful support group at my church. It was called Divorce Care. You know, when you're going through such a painful time, it's it's not only emotional, But it's also mentally very, very stressful because it's a financial stress, all the legal stuff that you need to go through. So I'm for three months living in this little motorhome trying to teach school. I lost lots of weight because I just didn't feel like eating. I I made sure that my kids ate and I didn't really care about myself very much. But I just put one foot in front of the other and I knew that God was going to take care of it, that he was going to eventually honor everything that I had given to him. During that time, we were in that little motorhome. Boy, we were snowed in and the neighbor came and helped. The road collapsed and we got help. I had to go to divorce court for I don't know how many times. I had to borrow money from my brother to pay for my lawyer. 
I ended up fighting for custody over my children. And honestly, those of you that have gone through divorce, you know it can be as ugly as it gets. And honestly, I just, all I wanted was my children. I wanted full custody of my children, sole custody of my children. And I let go of the ski boat. I let go of the motorhome. I get, let go of the cars, the trucks, everything, because none of it mattered except the children. And my attorney was not very happy with that. But you know what? We know that for the widow, God is the husband, right? And for the divorced person, God becomes that husband too. He will always take care of you and he will always meet your needs. And that's all I needed right then and there. I leaned on him like never before. Um, I moved into town to live with the kids for a little while. And during that time, I lost a dog. She died right after she was full of cancer. She died. I lost one of her puppies because that's one of the things I did was I, I raised dogs at the time. It was very hard. The court battle was very hard. But I had so much support from my church family, so much support. It was wonderful. And the idea that we had to sell those 28 beautiful acres, God even took care of every detail. We did not even have to put the house on the market. We had friends that said, we will buy it. And we were able to sell it. God answered prayers. We didn't have to pay capital gains. He took care of details is what I'm saying. And then I, I had to sell the horse. That was very hard. That was like saying, this is it. This is the end of my lifestyle. I had lived in two brand new houses and had all kinds of fun toys and animals. And and that wasn't what God had for me. That's what the world says I wanted. But that's not what God wanted for me. It was okay. I think it's so amazing listening to you mention loss after loss after loss that you don't go very many sentences before you mention how great God was and how he provided and how he was in the details. And even though something tragic was happening, there was something beautiful as well that you really could see that uh, during that whole season, the season of sorrows. As you list the different losses, I think it's very easy for listeners to categorize them. I think we whether we do this consciously or subconsciously, we sort of think of people's grief and losses on measuring scales. And we think, well, that's a really, really big one. You know, this person deserves grief over this, but oh, that's just kind of a little one. Like really, they're that upset over whatever. We, we kind of have a tendency to do that, but loss is loss. And, and it's not really up to us to judge how much somebody grieves over a particular kind of loss. I guess my encouragement, if you're listening, is that if you are experiencing any level of loss, whether it feels like the largest thing you could ever imagine, or maybe you sort of think it's just so tiny, you shouldn't even bother God with it. My encouragement to you is that you can bring any loss to God, anyone. It, it, you know, he doesn't function like, like an ER room where they're, you know, the most critical get in first and the others are, are left waiting. His ER sees everybody of every level. And there's no waiting. There's there's no waiting room. Like you can talk to him about anything and he can simultaneously be there for your your small problems and your big problems. Just just a little word of encouragement there. And and so Kendi, after this just season where it was sort of hit after hit after hit and yet God showed up, God showed up, God showed up. Well then then he really showed up. Then then you really have a kind of a turning point in your in your life story. So will you fill us in on that, please? Yeah, Jessica, he, he did show up. That fall, something totally, totally unplanned happened. There was a, a man who had been a substitute teacher at my school. His boys went to school there. They were good friends with my son. And uh he went to our church and I ended up falling in love. And that's not something I ever planned to have happen. Basically, we, we did end up getting married. He said, if you could do anything you wanted to do, what would you do? I have been through so much. I just wanted to be home and homeschool my children. So we got married, blended our families. The kids were 9, 10, 11, and 14. So the boys were just all stair steps and then, and then my daughter, you know, it was a different life. It was a whole different life, completely different kind of life. Uh, there were sacrifices. I was rebuilding myself. But God was so good because the doors opened for me to serve him freely, freely, the way I really wanted to. My husband was so supportive, and he loved the Lord. I had blessings. I didn't mention that after I had two children, a, a boy and a girl, 
my son was only seven months old and my first husband went and had a vasectomy, basically saying, Kendi, no, you cannot have any more children. And I wanted more children desperately. And guess what? God doubled my blessing. All of a sudden, I had two more children. And so there I was with four children, which is really what I'd always wanted. And it was just kind of not ironic. It was just God. I had a helpmate finally. Uh, we added on to the house. We did the work together. He helped me with certain things, teaching in Christian schools. He'd been a pre-med major, so he helped me with my dissection labs and teaching biology and so forth. I had the companionship that I had craved all my life. And I really felt that God had restored what the locusts had eaten because it had been such a hard, hard uh, 17 years. It had, it had been hard. But you know what? We don't always just fly through without more challenges because that's how we learn. We learn who God is by what he puts us through. And we grow by going through those growing pains. So there were still more losses. My mom died only two weeks before our first child was married, which made the the marriage even harder. I was with my mom when she died. My two boys ended up going into the army just a few months apart. One came home and a couple months later, the other one left. One was in Iraq, then the other one left for Afghanistan. And those of you that have had children serving overseas, serving in war zones, you know that every day you wake up and all you can think about is, is there going to be a knock at the door? Because they say if one person shows up, they're telling you that your child is wounded. If two people, your child is dead. That's what they tell you. And you imagine it constantly. And you live for those times when you can talk on the phone or have a video chat. I like to say that that for two years, I held my breath because that's the way it felt. But God is faithful. God is faithful. They did come home. They came home with scars that you can't see, but they came home. And I like to think that the faith that they were raised with helped them through it. I finally got to the point where my hearing had gotten bad enough that I could no longer function in a, in a classroom of 30 kids. And the Lord made it really clear to me that that it was just going to be the end. I loved teaching. I loved teaching. It's who I was. It's, it's still who I am. But that was a loss for me when I had to say I'm done teaching full time because of my hearing. I even, even got new hearing aids and it, it wasn't wasn't adequate enough to, you know, teach a classroom of, of high school kids who turn their face when they talk to you or mumble. And it, it's just not an optimum situation. And so that was hard. So I substituted for a couple of years and, and I, I just did not want to start, stop teaching. And so the Lord opened the doors for me to teach on my own terms. I did a lot of tutoring. I helped some teenagers that were in challenging situations. I helped get them through high school. He just opened all kinds of doors for me to help kids who needed help and to teach them and help them act academically. And that was so wonderful. And, you know, I didn't know who I was. I'm like, who am I after teaching? My whole identity was a mom and teaching. And here I am, an empty nester, and the teaching is going away. So in 2013, I was invited as a musician to be at a Christian writers conference. And you know what? That was a new page for me because it really led up to where I'm at right now. I immediately, within that first year, I mean, literally three months after approaching an editor, I had my first writing contracts, and I was writing Sunday school curriculum and sold over 200 articles that were published even internationally. I decided I would write children's books, and I won an award for that. I decided to write historical fiction for grown-ups and, and wrote three Civil War books right in a row. All of them have won, won awards since then. I got an agent right off the bat. Some people try for years to get an agent. I made it all the way to an editorial meeting for a major publisher, and then I was rejected, and everyone encouraged me, hey, most people never make it that far. Uh, there's such a small percentage of people that, that even make it that far. And, and so God was patting me on the back. He said, it's okay. Keep going. Keep going. You're right where I want you. You're right where I want you. And writing a book is a lot of work, people. It's a lot of work, especially historical fiction. You research and research and research. It's like the biggest research paper you could ever imagine writing. And it's a lot of work. But God was saying, here's an award because guess what? My love language is words of affirmation. And so I would have given up long ago, but God kept giving me another award, award. And then, you know, things seemed to be going along. But in the midst of it all, I ended up having 
foot surgery because I had gross in the bottom of my feet. I do want to talk about that for just a minute because I really learned something from that. When I went to one of these conferences, my bottom of my foot started hurting. And I'm like, what is wrong with it? Is it a bite? Is it a bruise? And it was right my right foot. And over the course of the next three months, it just hurt so awfully bad. It got to the point where I couldn't put any pressure on that foot. I finally got into the doctor. And so from July to January, I was in so much pain. And they did the ultrasound. There's two masses in there that need to be removed. And I'm like, oh, Lord, please don't let them be cancer. But your will be done. I, I was not fearful at all. And I think our lives are like that. There's something there that's causing us pain. We have no idea what it is. And then the great physician, if we ask, he will reveal to us what that pain is. And then I had surgery. But you know what? It wasn't just overnight. That healing process took weeks of no weight on my foot. And then once again, for the second time, I had to learn to walk all over again, heel toe, heel toe, starting by walking, you know, down the street and back and around the block. And, and you know, that happens in our lives too. Because when God points out where that pain is and we give it to him and we say heal us he heals us but sometimes he's asking us to be obedient to him and to go through that process so that we can be completely completely healed and so i just wanted to mention that because if we go through this pain if we go through this like for me again it was the loss of being able to even walk with if we go through it without learning something then it's in vain so if we're seeking god constantly he will show us what to do it wasn't long after that i found out that i had cancer the cancer was in me for a very long time and i had just put off going to the doctor and you know it was something that was taken care of very quickly and the prognosis was good and i still remember when they called me on the phone and told me what the diagnosis was i remember feeling fear for about five minutes, and it was gone. But I did. When I felt that fear for five minutes, what flashed before me is, oh, my children will hurt when I'm gone. It'll be sad. My husband will be a widower. You know, that's what flashed before me. But, you know, God took me through that too. And the the cancer was taken care of. Wonderful prognosis. It has not come back. And that takes me to the next loss that we had. And that was my daughter who we never thought would become pregnant because of problems that she had. She had gotten married last. She was the oldest of the four kids, and she was the last one to get married. And and she became pregnant, but next thing I know, she's calling me, Mom, Mom, meet me at the hospital. Something's wrong. And we lost that grandchild, a stillborn born little boy. And the next year, the same nightmare happened, a stillborn little boy. And this time, we almost lost our daughter. And... For those of you who have lost children, who have held that child that is not breathing in your arms, you've, you've kissed that tiny head and you've held, held that child to your heart. My heart aches with you because I know that pain. I know that pain that my baby girl felt with her children. I know the pain when my son-in-law had to go through watching his wife almost die, watching his sons die. It's just, it's, it's heart-wrenching, but God can make beautiful things out of that. God did give them two children, which they were adopting from the foster care system. Just a, not too long, you know, a few years later, two children that they thought they were adopting, and they had them for two years, and then the children went back to the birth mom. And that was another painful loss because I hurt so bad for my daughter, and I couldn't imagine how badly she hurt. I I saw these losses. And when you're a grandparent, you hurt. When you're a parent, you hurt because God puts that love in us. And you know what? That's the same love he has for us. And we go through all these things and we know that that is our Heavenly Father's heart. He gives us a piece of that. And that's why we hurt so badly. So imagine, just imagine, I, I can't help but think how the Father felt when he had to turn his face away from Jesus on the cross. You know, it just... It, it puts it all together. And if, if we hadn't gone through these things in our lives, these things, that, the obstacles, the losses that God puts in our lives, how how would we understand his love for us? 
how would we ever grasp even a piece of it? So that was the most, most recent things that have happened to me. I did break my ankle again, <laughs> my 12th broken bones. I've, I've had a lot of broken bones in my life. I had to learn to walk all over again just exactly a year ago. There was a hidden injury too. I, I wrecked my hip really badly when I fell and that hidden injury took a lot longer to heal than the one that was obvious. And, you know, that happens in our lives too. Sometimes there's something we're hiding from ourselves or hiding from God, a, a private pain, a private hurt. And I just want to encourage you, if you have some kind of something that you you don't want to bring out in the open, maybe it's too ugly, maybe it hurts too much, give it to the Lord because he is the only one that can heal it. He is only, he is the only one. He is. And, and just in that last season of, of your life that you shared, I, I think probably some listeners are sort of still catching their breath or maybe recovering from, from some tears because again, these, these losses are, are deep. And I appreciate that you shared that as a parent and as a grandparent, you feel the pain of your child or your grandchild. Like you, you love them so much that it hurts you when they hurt. And it really is such a picture of, of God's love for us. When he says we're his children, we, we have sort of a glimpse of what that really means because we have experienced earthly parent-child relationships. And that just gives us a little, a little picture. So now, as we're kind of closing up, wanted to just ask if you had any words of, of hope, words of encouragement for listeners who really identify with your story, whether they've experienced one of those specific losses or gains in your story, or just understand the feelings you may have had, even if their chapters look a little different. I think it's very easy for us to identify ourselves by our losses or identify ourselves by our gains. But really, our identity is independent of what we've lost or what we've gained. Our identity is independent of our joys and our sufferings. And and just sort of on that note, it, I, I think that is something you've discovered over your life story, that, that who you are isn't a list of what you've accomplished as a writer. It isn't the fact that you have four children. It isn't being a wife. It isn't being a teacher, nor is your identity found in your losses of, oh, you've been through this and you've suffered through this and you've had this trial. What is your identity and, and how can that be encouraging to our listeners? Well, as of this time, you know, in my life as an author, which is only a part of what I do, right? Not who I am. It's part of what I do. I'm painfully gripping that elusive thing called patience, as I hope to hear from my agent about books that she's shopping right now. And I'm prayerfully praising God in the interim because I see what he's doing in me and through my prayers. I'm rejoicing that his will can be done in my life as long as I cooperate, as long as I understand that his ways are not my ways. Probably the single most important thing I have learned, and of course, just exactly how to surrender to the fact that his ways are preferable, <laughs> that my ways are not his ways. So here I am, right? I'm in the autumn of my life as I think about the seasons of a woman's life, and I'm still wondering who am I? <laughs> I am a frustrated perfectionist. I'm a teacher, a musician through and through, a writer who is waiting on God, but mostly I am his child and I'm doing my best to serve him and weather the storms of life this side of heaven, understanding that this is not my home. I do best to dwell on Paul's words to the Romans in chapter 8, verse 18, he said, for I consider that the sufferings of the present life they're not even worthy to be compared with the glory that is about to be revealed to us and in us. I love that verse. I, I read fairly recently somebody kind of putting a, a, a new spin on it, saying that all of the pains and sufferings and, and evils of this world, when compared to the glory of, of heaven, will feel like nothing more than an inconvenient night in a low-rate hotel. <laughs> and I just thought, well, that is an interesting way to look at it. <laughs> but, you know, 
Kendi, I always love to ask speakers to pray for the listeners. But before I do that, I wanted to ask quickly, uh, and we'll put all of this in the episode notes as well. But for any listener who would like to follow you a bit more or maybe read something you've written, uh, anything like that, can you maybe just quickly share how listeners can get more Kendi? Thank you, Jessica. I do have a website, KendiPearson.com. That's K-E-N-D-Y-P-E-A-R-S-O-N. And from there, you can, you can follow me on different social media outlets and so forth. I am co-host for an upcoming podcast for fans of his Christian historical fiction. So if you read Christian historical fiction, you're going to want to tune into historicalbookworm.com. You go there, you can subscribe and, and get notifications when we have a podcast coming out. So that's where I'm at. And I grabbed that book, Jesus Talked to Me Today. It, it's available on Amazon. Wonderful stories of where children have experienced Jesus. And I have my daughter's story in there of when she was healed from rheumatoid, juvenile rheumatoid arthritis. Thank you for having me, Jessica. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you for opening your story. And thank you for opening all of it. I mean, you really just peeled back the curtain and, and let us see. And I think and that's why we do this is that we're reminded that, that, you know, the women in our lives that maybe seem like they have it all together in this perfect life and they're so accomplished. We really get to know the real, the real story that, that there's so much more and God is writing incredible chapters in our lives. So, Kendi, would you pray for the women who are listening? Would you pray for the women who are suffering losses, however that looks in her life? Father, thank you so much that you hear us when your children call. Lord, I pray for everyone that's listening right now. Oh, God, do a mighty work in their heart, in their lives, Lord. Lord, would you take those wounds that they haven't dealt with, Lord? Would you teach them, show them how to deal with them, Lord? Lord, would you bring healing for all the hurts? Lord, would you bring a balm for all the scars, Lord? God, would you just do a mighty work in their lives, Lord? All the losses, Lord, help us all to lay them at your feet. Oh, Lord, bring beauty for ashes and teach us more about your nature. Teach us more about how much you love us, how very much you love us. And Lord, I pray for anyone that's listening that, that is, they're hurting so much right now and they don't see a way out. Open the door, Lord. Open the door, bring in the sunshine, reveal to them that they can trust you. They don't need to see what you're going to do. They just need to trust that you're going to do it because your ways are not their ways. Thank you for your faithfulness. Thank you for your promises. Thank you, Lord, that we can trust you. In Jesus' precious name, amen. Amen. Thank you so much again, Kendi. Thank you for being here. We really appreciate it. And I hope listeners were, were encouraged and were blessed. And we hope, listeners, that you tune in next week for our next story. Good night, y'all. The Story Night Podcast. A ministry of Calvary Mac. For more women's stories, visit calvarymac.com slash women. <laughs> <laughs>